This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serialholic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey girl, hi. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's going. So I think we should start out the episode by apologizing for it coming out a little late. Um, yes, we were just yes. super stoked about you and like your whole family coming and we planned on recording when you were here because that'd be so great. But honestly, we just like had so much fun hanging out and just didn't get around to it. So exactly. We spent but, a lot of family time. So <laughs> we did much needed and it was awesome and we had fun. Now I'm back home and sh- and not there anymore so yeah that's that's really dumb I think we should go ahead and tell them you know kind of our thoughts on moving forward yes so So we we're making a lot of changes for our podcast not a lot but um no we're just making one change well (laughs) what yes and no I mean it's just one change for the listeners for the listeners for right now but yes um we are making a change so as you know we work full-time um, I also own a small business on top of this and school's about to start again. So we and decided we kiddos that we want to spend time with before they grow up, which is happening too fast. Yes. <laughs> um, also, um, when August starts, so does football season for my kiddo. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a pretty busy, busy time. So we decided to move our podcast instead of doing it weekly, we're going to do it bi-weekly. So we're going to release two episodes a month. Right. So you'll still, don't fret, you'll still get content a couple times a month from us, but it's just gonna be a little bit more spaced out. Um, When we started this, we were like, this is going to be a cool side hobby for us to do. And doing it weekly, it's just, there's not enough time to do everything that we want to do in our lives. (laughs) So (laughs) we're just going to have to. We hate hate when things, um, you know, kind of delay it and we feel really bad for all of our current listeners because we have so many and I just don't want to. I don't want to disappoint anymore. <laughs> right. I don't want to disappoint you guys. I still want to give you content. We still love making the podcast. We still love doing the research and being able to tell each other these cases and everybody else that wants to listen to it. Um, right. But we just need to take a step back and not stress so much on it, <laughs> I guess. We also, we're also planning because we're doing it bi-weekly, we're hoping that we can give you longer content too. <laughs> exactly. And so. that's going to happen today for sure. <laughs> because I got lots of the notes <laughs> starting today <laughs> starting today long episodes long ass episodes so sit your ass down and get ready open your ear holes sorry open that was kind of <laughs> open your canned RC <laughs> you not open that well, I don't know why you're drinking that that's flat soda There's in nothing, a can <laughs> nothing like nothing like a, a nice refreshing flat coke in the morning <laughs> I'll just continue to sip my water until it's an acceptable time to drink alcohol <laughs> all right so I guess we spend enough time talking about that so let's spend a lot of time talking about possibly the most obnoxious annoying serial killer out there oh, of course you would pick that of course I would. So we're, <laughs> we're gonna talk 
about Dennis Rader today. Oh, you really did. You I did. I really went ahead and did one it. for the team. <laughs> I took one for the team and I did it. And then I rolled my eyes so many times while I was doing these notes. Stupid BTK. <laughs> so ridiculous. So let's go ahead and get into it. Just so you guys know, BTK actually took place like an hour and a half away from me. It's <laughs> BTK took place. Took place. <laughs> it's killings. They took place. In fact, I actually, a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine that I went to school with, uh, her like, I think it was her aunt or cousin lived like two houses down from him. Oh my God. That's fucking creepy. Yes. But yeah, I don't like that. You vomited. <laughs> Dennis Lynn Rader was born on March 9th, 1945 in Pittsburgh, Kansas, which mm-hmm. is only about 70 miles away from you. It's, in case it's, you're wondering. Four, it's a little over 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was one of four boys to Dorothea and William Rader. His father was in the Marine Corps. And after World War II, he got a job working for KG&E. Do you know what that is? KG&E. Mm-mm. Okay. I don't live in Kansas, so I don't know if all Kansonians. Can- it's the Kansas Electric Company in that area. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the whole state of Kansas doesn't share one electric company then? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just like a windmill going around? No, it's not. Even though <laughs> they put so many windmills up here lately. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So his dad got a job working for KG&E, the, Can- the Kansas Electric Company. No, that says a Kansas. <laughs> a Kansas Electric Company. And the Raider family moved to Wichita, where Raider would grow up and live and commit all of his murders. Yes. Which is like an hour and a half away from you. Yes. By all accounts, he had a very normal and unremarkable childhood, which I'm sure would piss him off because he's all about like the fame of it and he wants everybody <laughs> to know him. Um, he was a member of the Lutheran Church and was very active in Boy Scouts growing up. This is where he would learn his th- knot tying skills. I was going to say, I did know this. Yes. Because he learned how to tie all of his stupid knots. <laughs> stupid knots that he would later use on his victims when he would like tie them up. Or bind them, as he would annoyingly say. Bind them. Because he's obnoxious. So Raider attended Riverview Elementary School, where he was an average to below average student. This, to me, like, described him in his entirety, by the way. Just average to below average. (laughs) If you saw his face. (laughs) You know, uh, you know how I get so annoyed, you do, when people, these people, these serial killers, like, give themselves their own nicknames, which he did. Mm -hmm. Because he thought BTK was so freaking cool. I think everyone, instead of calling him BTK, we should call him ATBAK, average oh. to below average killer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so many, that's so many letters. So he was nothing special in school no. or life in general. Mm-mm. Super normal childhood. Um, nothing is known to have happened to trigger his later behavior in life. Except At for some, him just being weird. Yeah, except for he was weird. Um, he would do things like, dress up in women's underwear and take pictures of himself that's in his what basement. i was gonna say except for the fact that he was weird <laughs> right he was weird, weird but there was no like major life triggers you know like how some of them say oh i was abused as a child or no. they try to blame it on something no he was just, he just fucking weird to- so he did also claim after his arrest that he began dreaming of domination bondage and torture at a very young age like before even hitting puberty so that's cool he said that he began torturing and hanging small animals as a young boy, and this caused him to develop violent sexual fantasies. I feel like he makes a lot of this up, though. Oh, but, absolutely. A hundred percent. I'm sorry, but I just don't, I don't feel like everything that he claimed that he 
like did after he got arrested was true either. No, like, he just loved you, talking. Yes, but if you like look at some of his points and stuff, he like copycats some of these other major serial killers that happened before him. Mm -hmm. Why I think he's a stupid little liar face. <laughs> he's a lying liar who loves lying. He absolutely copied that. He like he was obsessed with serial killers. He read books on them. He yes quoted them. He he's just just freaking weird. He said that his fantasies were like a quote picture show you know those moving picture shows yeah <laughs> that he could direct and star in no matter what the cost apparently annette funicello who was a mouseketeer in like the first original cast of the mickey mouse clubhouse in the 50s was his favorite target for imaginary bondage oh, okay <laughs> hopefully she never knew about that because that's fucking mortifying like i hope she never had to know that like ever <laughs> during high school he was described as a quiet and polite young man who kept to himself he wasn't socially active and he showed no interest in anything the kids his age did at that time one person described him as utterly lacking a sense of humor i was gonna say that's how he was as an adult too though uh-huh he graduated from wichita heights high school in 1963 and after high school he worked at a local grocery store for a while can you imagine being the alumni like being in the same graduating class as him no I was gonna say could you imagine working at a grocery store with him <laughs> that too that too sorry yeah it's just like so close to where I live it, it makes me it makes you think things like that I yeah guess. I don't know. I'm just like man if I graduated with a serial killer that did all this I wouldn't know what to think like yeah I would just crazy. keep looking back trying to think if I noticed anything right right like any weird I mean other than the fact that he is weird but like any other behavior you know I don't mm -hmm. know but. so at the age of 21 he joined the air force most likely to avoid being drafted and sent to Vietnam 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 Vietnam, Vietnam. After, Vietnam. I said that, <laughs> after I said that I was like Vietnam no Okay. No. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I was like, Vietnam? <laughs> you really sound country now. <laughs> he served four years in the Air Force, moving around quite a bit from San Antonio, Texas to Mobile, Alabama. He went to Korea, Greece, Turkey, and Japan. His time there was much like him, unremarkable. He just kind of blended in with everyone, and he worked in the installation of antenna equipment. Hmm. He received the Air Force Good Conduct Medal, the Small Arms Expert Markmanship Ribbon, and the National Defense Service Medal. How can you say I actually never knew that he was in the Air Force? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So he was discharged from active duty in the summer of 1970 and went back to Wichita, where he would serve two more years there in the reserves. On May 22nd, 1971, at 26 years old, Raider married 23-year-old Paula Dietz a woman who had grown up in the same area as him, like they had both attended the same high school and went to the same church. And that's another thing. Could yeah. you imagine your husband being a serial killer? No. I mean, and, and like all your kids and all that having to live with that kind of like the, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just crazy. Even like the whole, uh, golden state killer and stuff too. Right. And yeah. She had to go on, like she went on to talk about it and stuff. It's so crazy. It's insane. I can never imagine. So the newlyweds settled in Park City, not far from North Wichita, where Raider had grown up. 
Raider got a job in the meat department at IGA, the local supermarket. I do know that. We don't have those here, but I have seen it there. We had an IGA (laughs) in the town that I live in. In fact, my husband's dad ran it. Yeah. It's not there anymore. It's no longer an IGA. We have a different grocery store, you know, in Southeast Kansas, it's (laughs) G&W. So he worked in the meat department at IGA and Paulo was a bookkeeper. The IGA job didn't last too long. Raider wasn't really the kind to keep the same job for an extended period of time at that age. In 1972, he went to work at Coleman Company. You may have heard of them. They make like all of the camping supplies you see in all stores. At the time, they were the largest company to work for in Wichita. So he lasted at Coleman Company for a little over a year. And weird fact that's connected but not connected two of his victims later actually did end up working at coleman but not at the same time as him oh that is weird yeah so during this time he decided he was going to go back to school for a little bit where he continued to be an average to below average student (laughs) he eventually ended up earning a two-year associate's degree in technology and then in the fall of 1973 he enrolled at wichita state university It would take him six years of struggling with night classes before he would finally graduate and earn a Bachelor of Science degree. Rader himself later said that he was a poor student and usually got C's or D's. He couldn't spell well. He had unusually bad grammar in his written work. Some people believe that he actually might have had an undiagnosed learning disability because it was just his his grammar was real bad in writing, which we'll get to in some of his letters that he sent to police. Yes. In late 1973, Raider worked at Cessna, an aircraft manufacturer. That's actually, they have a a Cessna um, a little over 30 miles from me now, too, in another small town. So I pronounced that right. I was worried I was going to mispronounce it. Correct, Cessna. (laughs) Funny, I work at an aircraft company. You do, but it's not that one. I have for 13 years. (laughs) So, So he worked there for a hot minute, and then he got fired, like he did for many jobs. So now he's feeling pretty down. He's in between jobs again. So he's got all this free time on his hands. At this point, his wife was working at a VA hospital in Wichita and it's winter and she didn't feel comfortable driving in icy conditions. So a lot of the time he would drop, like he would drop her off at work and and pick her up. So this is when he began what he called trolling. So we'll get into it, but he had a lot of dumbass code names for stuff that he used throughout the years. <laughs> a lot of dumbass code names. A lot of dumbass code names. So trolling consisted of driving or walking around neighborhoods or like school campuses where there would be women that he could observe. I mean, that's what it's called in video games, isn't it? When they're like stalking you in video games. <laughs> no, don't give him that credit. Don't give him that credit. Once he found a quote, good prospect, He would then enter his fantasy realm where he would imagine bondage and the torture and killing of that prospect. So one day when Raider was out trolling, he noticed 34-year-old Julie Otero and her 11-year-old daughter, Josephine. They seemed like the perfect prospects for him. So like a fucking creeper, he started watching them like daily. He would watch them so he could learn their routines, figure out what times everyone left the house, what times they'd be home, all that stuff. He then devised a plan to take them by surprise in their own home. He got together what he called a hit kit, which is basically a briefcase or a bowling bag filled with anything that he might need to bind, torture, and murder his victims. His hit kits usually consisted of a gun, knives, hoods, cords, tape, 
plastic bags, gloves, and then just like various tools that he could use in to like break and enter into houses. On January 15th, 1974, he decided to make his move. Between 7 and 7.30 a.m., he snuck around to the backyard of the Otero home and cut their telephone line. That was something that he would do before all of his hits, as he called them, because he thinks he's a fucking spy or some shit. (laughs) He then went to the back door where he hesitated for a minute, but eventually decided to go through this plan. So I saw different accounts and different sources as to how he ended up entering the house. And I think the reason for these different accounts was because Originally, he told one story, and then he kind of changed it later on because he's a liar. So originally, he said that he waited by the back door, debating whether or not he should go in, and then the back door opened when nine-year-old Joseph let the family dog out into the backyard. He later said that he opened the door himself and went in, and then later forced Joseph to put the dog outside at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. So either way, he went in through the back door. When he entered the home, Raider was caught off guard because he wasn't expecting Julie's husband, Joseph Otero Sr. to be home. He thought it was just going to be Julie and the two small kids, Josephine and Joseph Jr. So I'm going to call Joseph Sr. Joe from now on because that's what he went by. And there's a lot of Joseph names. So Joe had recently gotten into a car accident and had like some cracked ribs. So he was staying home for the day. Raider pulled the gun from his hit kit and held the family at gunpoint. He told them that he was wanted by police and he was just need to get like food and some money in a car so he could like get out of here so julie was like yes here you can take my car obviously that wasn't what he was there for so right he told them to all lay down in the living room but then realized that that was a dumb plan so he led them all to the bedroom he then tied them up using knots that he had learned from boy scouts raider this is all like from raider's account by the way that he tells right So Raider said that they complained that he had tied them up too tightly. So then he loosened the knots and retied them so they'd be more comfortable. Also, since Joe had recently been in the wreck, he tried to make him more comfortable. So he like put a pillow under his head while he laid on the floor, tied up. The Oteros told Raider they would give him their car and some money. And they were just like, just please don't hurt us. You can take whatever. Raider said that it was at this point that he realized, oh shit, I don't have a mask on. They can see my face and ID me. So he says that it was at that point that he decided that he was going to have to, quote, put them down. I'm sorry, if you, if you took all this time planning this out and you made your stupid little hit kits, you would have brought a fucking mask if you wanted to bring a mask. He is literally the worst serial killer ever. So bad. He's so bad. So he then put a plastic bag over Joe's face and tied it with a belt to suffocate him. He then turned to Julie and strangled her. And then turned to Josephine and strangled her. Because remember, these two small children are in the same room as this man's like Mm -hmm. attacking their parents. Well, attempting to kill their parents because he was so below average everything else in his life. He was also a terrible murderer. So Julie had just passed out. She wasn't strangled, but he thought she was dead. (laughs) Raider later said that he had never strangled anyone before. So he didn't know how long to do it or how much pressure to use. Oh my God. Right. So Julie's not actually dead. She's passed out. Josephine's also passed out, not dead. Joe was somehow able to bite a hole into the plastic bag. And so he's got a hole in the bag now. So Raider is just like chaos right now. He's trying to kill these people and he's sucking at it and freaking out. So he notices that he's got the hole in the bag. He decided he's going to use the belt that he had tied around his neck to strangle him now. He said that 
he noticed at this point that Joe was struggling pretty bad to breathe. So he tried to make it quick because, you know, he was getting pretty upset because we're concerned about how upset you're getting about the people you're murdering. You narcissistic asshole. Like what? Of course I'm upset. You're trying to kill me and my family. No, Raider was saying that he was getting upset. Oh, he he was getting upset. So he was trying to make it fast because he was getting upset at that point. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. So then he went to little Joseph and he put a plastic bag over his head. And at that point, Julie woke up. So she sees this. She begs Raider not to hurt her children. So he took the bag off of Joseph's head. Then he went back over to Julie and used a cord to strangle her to death. Once she was dead, Raider took Joseph to his own bedroom. He put a t-shirt over his head and then a bag so that he couldn't tear a hole in it like his father had done. And then he pulled up a chair and sat there and watched him suffocate to death. Once Joseph was dead, Raider went back to the master bedroom where he found that Josephine had woken up at some point. He then took her down to the basement where he tied her to a sewer pipe bound by her hands and feet and told her that she was about to join her family in heaven. He then asked her for a camera, but she told him that they didn't have one. He put a noose around her neck and he hung her. Once she was dead, he's so vomitous. He said that he had some quote, sexual fantasies, and then went back upstairs. So she was found nude from the waist down, but she wasn't sexually assaulted pre or post-mortem. Him, when he says he has sexual fantasies, it's literally him being gross and just masturbating over their body. Gross. Uh Uh-huh. Once he was done, he went back upstairs. He says that he cleaned up a bit, stole a watch and a radio, and then left in the Otero's car. He drove the car to a nearby Dylan's grocery store where a witness later said that they saw a man that matched his description get out of the car. They said the man was shaking very noticeably and he threw the car keys on top of the roof of the Dylan's and then walked away. So he walked back to his own car. Then once he got into his car, he realized that his knife was missing from his hit kit because he's a bumbling idiot. (laughs) <laughs> so he drove his car back to the Ajero home and then parked his car in their garage and then searched the home until he found the knife lying in the yard. Then he left again. Yeah, he really is the worst serial killer. He's so bad at everything. He's so bad at life in general. So that afternoon, 15-year-old Charlie Otero came home from school. He thought it was weird that the garage door was open and his mom's car was gone because she was usually home when he got home from school. Mm-hmm. When he walked in, he noticed a half-made peanut butter sandwich and an empty lunchbox, and he also noticed his father's wallet had been tossed on top of the stove. His siblings, 14-year-old Daniel and 13-year-old Carmen, had gotten home from school like just a few minutes before him, and he suddenly heard Carmen shouting from his parents' bedroom. She said, come quick, mom and dad are playing a bad joke on us. Oh, no. I know, it's awful. Charlie walked into the bedroom doorway and froze as he saw his parents bound and strangled in the room. He then grabbed his siblings and ran to a neighbor's house and told them what he saw. The neighbor called the police, and when police arrived, Charlie explained to them what he saw and told them that his two younger siblings, Josephine and Joseph, were still at school. But they weren't. But they weren't. They would soon discover that this was not the case after searching the home. So that's fucking awful. A few months later, on April 4th, 1974, Raider was ready to strike again. He had been trolling 
and he targeted his next project or PJ, this is what he would call his potential victims. So like I said, he's got a ton of dumbass code names that he used for things. Here's a disturbing fun fact for you. Not so fun. His code name for his penis was Sparky. Oh my God. And his code name for an erection was Sparky Big Time. What? Yeah. And he would say, like, he would tell people all about this, not tell people, but like when he was confessing later and he's like, oh, my sexual fantasies, he would like say things like Sparky Big Time. And they're like, what the fuck is actually wrong with you? Like, it's not okay. He's fucking. You know what that makes me think of? And I know it's so stupid, but how to lose or how to, yeah, how to lose a guy in 10 days when she tries to name the dude's penis. Mm. princess sophia oh my god i forgot about that (laughs) and he's like no it's crawl (laughs) oh that's funny i forgot about that no (laughs) what the hell sparky sparky okay it's sparky big time anyways him and driving around one day and he spotted 21 year old Catherine bright going into her house and he thought that's a possibility disease vomitus so on april 4th raider broke into Catherine's house through the back door hid in a bedroom and waited for her to come home at around 2 p.m Catherine came home but she wasn't alone her 19 year old brother kevin was with her so raider hadn't counted on this he thought she'd be alone i do know about this one yes this is the one where he almost got caught right kind of yeah kind of kind of yeah but not really okay so Raider hadn't counted on her brother being with her. He thought she would be alone. So he was, knew he was going to have to improvise. He emerged from the bedroom with a gun pointed at them and told them a similar sob story to what he told the Oteros. He told them he was a wanted criminal and he didn't want to hurt them. He just needed money in a car so he could get away. He took them to a bedroom where he then forced Kevin to tie his sister up at gunpoint. And then Raider tied Kevin up and secured him to the bed so that he couldn't move. He then took Catherine to a different bedroom and tied her to the bed and then went back to Kevin with the intention of strangling him. So that was his plan. He was going to separate him, take Kevin out, and then he could do what he wanted to do to Catherine. When Raider began to strangle Kevin, he was able to break free from his ties and began fighting back. The two got into like a major fight. There was a scuffle. Kevin was able to get the gun from Raider and like pointed it at him. But unfortunately, Raider was able to like jam the gun and take it back. And he shot Kevin in the face. But Kevin was not done fighting. He continued to charge at Raider and Raider eventually like shot him a second time in the head. So at this point, Kevin fell to the ground. He's bleeding. He's not moving. Raider's like, okay, he's dead. He goes back to Catherine where he then tried to strangle her, but he's so bad at everything that she too was able to break free from her ties. And the two of them also got into a scuffle. Eventually, he was able to overpower her. And according to him, at this point, he had lost control and was he was just very upset because nothing was going the way he had planned it. So he gave up on trying to strangle Catherine and grabbed a knife from his hit kit and began stabbing her in the abdomen. Raider then heard movement from the other room, and the next thing he knew, the front door, like, slammed open, and Kevin was running down the street screaming for help. Dude has been shot in the face twice, and he's still going. So Raider panicked and tried to grab all this stuff, clean everything up real quick, and 
he grabbed some car keys that he saw laying there, ran out to one of the cars that was parked outside. And apparently he had run to the wrong car because the keys didn't work. So he panicked again and just started running down the street, like opposite <laughs> direction of Kevin, just runs off. Um, he ran all the way back to his car and drove away. So Kevin was able to get help and he survived after being shot in the face twice. That's, that's why I was like, I'm, he almost got caught on this. Right, right. So that's where I was saying, cause I remember, I remember this, this specific killing too, because he left one victim alive, mm-hmm. not realizing that he was alive. And unfortunately I, I had read somewhere that Kevin even went back to check on his sister and has found his sister dead. So she, she wasn't dead yet. He went back to try to help her after he that's what it was. could help. And she ended up dying at the hospital later from her stab wounds. That's what it was. Okay. I knew he went back for her. Yeah. Yeah, because he's fucking badass. Like, got shot in the face twice. Like, what? In October of 1974, nine months after the Otero murders, Don Granger of the Wichita Eagle received an anonymous phone call. The caller directed him to a specific mechanical engineering book in the Wichita Public Library. Inside the book, he found a letter addressed to the Secret Witness Program, claiming credit for the killing of the Otero family and promising more killings in the future who knows how soon after he killed them that he just put this letter in this book at the library and was like, this is going to be great. They're going to find it. And they're going to know that I killed them, but they won't know who I am. But his dumb ass doesn't know that nobody goes and checks out a mechanical engineering book at the library. And so nobody found it. (laughs) So he he had to call the fucking newspaper himself and be like, go look in this book. (laughs) (laughs) he's fucking stupid i'm telling you this is i'm so glad you ended up doing this case because i refused because this man is literally the dumbest man alive i don't understand how he didn't get caught for 30 years because he's so fucking dumb i don't know either so police knew this letter was authentic because it had a ton of specific details about the otero murders that they had not released to the public they decided that the letter shouldn't be published at this point And the Wichita Eagle agreed. They're like, okay, we're not going to publish it. However, a reporter from a rival newspaper called the Wichita Sun somehow got their hands on the letter and they published a portion of it. So I'm going to read real quick the part that they published so you can get a sense of just like how much of an idiot he is because he's so dumb. And they printed it with his many misspellings and grammatical errors. So I already know what they published, but definitely tell these readers how bad it is. These these readers. Why did I say readers? I don't know. (laughs) Listeners. Do you think they're reading us right now? No. (laughs) Some of it's stupid. Okay. Well, it's all stupid, but I write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer, as well as your time. Those three dude you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. There has been no talk either. Let's put this straight. And so then he put like details about the crimes that weren't published in the paper before. Then he says, I'm sorry this happened to society. They are the ones who suffer the most. It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion. Hang up. When this monster entered my brain, I will never know. But it here to stay. How does one cure himself? It's really hard to read this. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just enjoying the way that you're reading it is all. (laughs) If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it. So the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. 
society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydreams of some victims being torture and being mine. It a big complicated game, my friend, of the monster putting of the monster. Why can't he put S's? <laughs> it's really hard to read this. It a big complicated game, my friend, of the monster play putting victims number down, follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting. The pressure is great, and sometimes he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen his next victim or victims. I don't know who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know, but it too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly guiltily. And then he didn't sign it, like he just left it at that, but then he added like a little, like a PS. PS, since sex criminals do not change their MO or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code word for me will be find them, torture them, kill them, BTK. You see, he added again, they will be on the next victim. Okay. So yeah, he's an idiot. That's my brain. <laughs> my brain hurts. <laughs> also, again, why can we not stop allowing these douche canoes to make up their own nicknames? But whatever. <laughs> and why can he not use S's or periods? <laughs> or any kind of grammar. Like <laughs> so he would refrain from killing anyone else for three years. He had these long, like, cooling off periods, which was really weird for a serial killer, but I guess he kept the monster at bay. I don't know. So, in November of 1974, he landed a job at ADT Security. Hey. Hey, we know that. <laughs> we know that. Dad worked there for years. So, he kept that job for the next 14 years. Like, he, he worked there for years also. This job, he rose to the position of installation supervisor, which gave him flexibility in terms of, like, where he could be throughout the day. Which is what dad did. Fun fact. Now, during this time, there was a rise in the sale of security systems because people were concerned about BTK, like being out on the loose. Right. It was known that he would literally break into your home and wait for you. So they were like, we need security systems to protect us against that. Little did they know, BTK was actually one of the ones installing these systems into their homes and he knew how to like bypass them if he wanted to get in. So that's fucking creepy as shit. In 1975, Raider's first child, a son named Brian, was born. During these next few years, Raider was pretty busy working full-time for ADT, going to night cl classes at Wichita State, and he had a newborn at home. Despite all of that, Raider would later say that even though he didn't commit any murders during this time, he never stopped trolling for more projects. So he'd still ride around and be fucking creepy. On March 17th, 1977, he would finally strike again. He had been trolling around a neighborhood and had a woman in mind named Cheryl that he had met at a bar. He had been watching her and learned where she lived and that she had a roommate living with her who was another woman and the two would like often have parties at their house. So when Raider went by Cheryl's house, no one was home and he got bored waiting. So he decided he would go by another house of another woman that he'd been watching. Fortunately for her, she also was not home and he wasn't feeling very patient that day. Like he didn't feel like breaking in and just like waiting. He was like, I want to do this now. Unfortunately, he noticed five-year-old Steve Relford walking down the street alone. First off, this always gets me. This always gets me. Why is a five-year-old walking down the street by themselves? Well, I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> One, it's like 1974. I know, but it's still, it still drives <laughs> me insane. So I'm going to tell you why he was walking down the street. But I mean, yes, I get it. But it was a different time. It's definitely a different time. Yes, for sure. So he stopped Steve and 
he pulled out a picture of his own wife and son and asked him if he'd seen them. And Steve told him that he hadn't and he just like continued on his way. So Raider watched him walk home and enter his house. Steve's mother, 26-year-old Shirley Vianne, was at home from work sick that day. And she had sent Steve to the nearby Dillon's grocery store to get her some soup. So the Dillon's, I like literally looked at the map and saw how far her house was from the Dillon's. It was about a one minute walk from their home. I was going to say, I know it was just right down the road. So I get it. I'm not saying anything bad about the mother by all means. It, it was a different time. Right, right. It was a different time. She was homesick. One minute walk from their house. So not far. Raider went to a neighboring home from Steve's house and knocked on the door. And he was like prepared to show whoever it was the same picture of his wife and son. But again, nobody was home. So now he's getting annoyed because he'd gone to three houses. Nobody was there. He decided he's just going to go where he knows someone is and walked up to the front door of the home that Steve entered. He knocked on the door and Steve and his brother Bud answered the door. Raider pretended to be a, a detective and he showed them the picture that he'd already shown Steve was like do you recognize these people i'm a detective and he's like let me come in and he like pushes past them and then he once inside he pulls out a gun he starts lowering all the blinds he turns the tv off hearing a commotion shirley came out of the bedroom to see what was going on so raider told shirley that he had a problem with sexual fantasies so he was gonna have to tie her up and have his way with her and if everyone cooperated that was all that was gonna happen now during raider's confession he told the court that he thinks she may have been sick because when she came out, she was just wearing her night robe, like she wasn't dressed for the day. And while he was there, she had vomited once. So she might have been sick. Cool, dude. At one point, the phone rang and Steve asked Shirley if he should answer it. And Raider was like, no, don't answer the phone. And then Steve like looked at his mom and he was like, should I answer it? And she was like, no, just do what this guy says. Like, don't answer it. It was one of the neighbors calling because she had told them that she was going to check up on him because she knew that Shirley was homesick. She was going to mm -hmm. check up on him throughout the day. So... Raider tried tying up the three children in the home. There's three. There was Steve, Bud, and their four-year-old sister, Stephanie. But when he started trying to tie them up, they started crying and he like changed his mind. He was like, this isn't going to work. And so he made Shirley help him gather up blankets and toys and put them in the bathroom for the kids so they could all just hang out in there. And then he tied the bathroom door shut so they couldn't get out. Raider claims that he then gave Shirley some water and a cigarette to help, you know, like calm her down because he's such a stand-up guy, you know? Oh, yeah. He then tied Shirley up, put a plastic bag over her head, and strangled her to death with the same rope that he'd used to tie her up. The whole time, the children are screaming. They're banging on the door. They're trying to get out. They're yelling at Raider to leave their mother alone. In an interview nearly 30 years later, Steve said that he had actually stood up on the bathtub so that he could see over the door and witnessed everything Raider had done to his mother. Mm -hmm. He said that once Raider had tied the bathroom door shut, he pushed a bed in front of the door, stripped his mother down, and tied her up. He said Raider then put a bag over her head and tied a rope around her neck, killing her. Raider later said that he was planning on killing the children too, but then the phone rang again. And the kids wouldn't stop screaming and he was getting all like discombobulated. So he just like cleaned up his stuff quickly, stole Shirley's panties, which is something he would do often, and left. Meanwhile, the children had been trying unsuccessfully to break the bathroom window to escape. Right. And eventually, after like 40 minutes of being locked in there, they were able to get out. 
they ran to get help. Little Steve went in the house and tried to untie his mother's hands, but at that point it was too late. She was already dead, I know. Steve later gave police an accurate description of Raider, but they weren't- and he's five. And he was five, yes. He's, he's five. five. Let's put that out there too. He was five years old. Mm-hmm. And he gave them an accurate description of Raider, but they weren't confident that such a young child would be a reliable witness. So they just like dismissed that. Which is so shitty. Mm-hmm. That whole thing just, tra- this right here is what really irritated me about this whole case too, because this is why it took so long. Right. This is why it took so long for them to get BTK, which is the dumbest and <laughs> most careless mm-hmm. freaking serial killer out there. And we've, we've done several cases where young children gave sketches right and are the reason that they're behind bars like come on kids actually have the best memory too right my memory sucks I'd be terrible at I'm dead serious young children have the best memory right because they're like sponges they soak everything in everything they're they're at that stage where their brains are like learning everything and so they just yes hold it in so if a child is saying that they're gonna give you a description of somebody fucking take it (laughs) (laughs) fucking take it bitch so years later, when Raider was arrested and made his first court appearance, Steve said that he was 100% confident that Raider was the man that had killed his mother. He's like, I know that was him. Like, that's the same man that I described to the police. So later that same year in December, Raider became fixated on 25-year-old Nancy Fox. He noticed her walking into her home one day, and he knew that she was going to be one of his projects. He then began hardcore trolling her. Like he went through her mailbox to figure out her name, which I wish he hadn't done for several reasons. But one reason was once he learned her name was Nancy Fox, he used his super douche skills to name this project, Project Fox Hunt. Because whatever. Nancy Fox, right. My eyes like literally rolled all the way back into my head when I read that. I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> he found out where she worked and began watching her at work too. And he even like stopped by once and came in so he could get get to feeling more comfortable around her is what he said so once he felt like the time was right he decided to finally make his move on december 8th 1977 raider parked his car about two to three blocks away from nancy's home she lived alone in a duplex and raider made sure that nobody was home in the other apartment before going around back and cutting the phone lines to her house he then broke in through the back door and waited for nancy to come home When she got home, Raider was waiting for her in her kitchen. The two sat and talked for a while while smoking. And he proceeded to tell her about all of his sexual problems and how he was going to tie her up so that he could, you know, take care of these problems. She told him that his fantasies were ridiculous. And according to Raider, Nancy continued to be lippy with him throughout the entire encounter. Eventually, (laughs) she's like, fuck you, give me another cigarette. Eventually, Nancy told Raider, well, let's go ahead and get this over with so I can call the police. (laughs) And she asked, can I go to the bathroom first at least? And so he was like, yeah, you can go to the bathroom, but you you better be undressed when you come back out. Excuse me? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) So she came out of the bathroom. Raider immediately handcuffed her and put her on the bed. He began to strangle her with the belt, and when she was almost dead, he would, like, let up on the belt so that she could get a breath. He, at one point, when he, like, let her breathe again, he got up to her ear 
all gross like and he whispered to her that he was btk and that he was a bad guy and the same thing that happened to the otero family was going to happen to her he eventually strangled her to death masturbating over her as she died he then cleaned the place up stole some of her belongings and left Raider would later say that he was most proud of his project fox hunt murder and he claimed his biggest thrill in these projects was the anticipation before and the memories afterwards not the actual murders themselves he said that he fantasized about torturing and enslaving his victims after their death in an afterlife concepts of victims or aflv what? he called it because he's stupid Raider believed that Nancy would be his primary mistress in the afterlife. I think absolutely not. I don't think she would have any of that. <laughs> That's impossible. She's not rotting in hell like you are. Exactly. The next morning, after reporting to work at ADT, Raider went to a phone booth a few blocks down. He called police and anonymously told them Nancy's address and that they would find Nancy Fox's body there. And then he just like left the receiver dangling. Police rushed to the address given, and sure enough, they found Nancy's body. Eventually, the audio recording of that phone call would be played in the media, and they would ask that anyone that might be able to identify the voice, like, contact police. No one, including Raider's family or coworkers, like, recognized that voice as his. <laughs> also, right? how? How? <laughs> you literally live with the man right how can you not say oh hey that sounds like my husband because I can definitely pick out mine <laughs> I'd be like bitch what <laughs> <laughs> like I would be looking up when I hear that recording like side eye and my husband you know slowly walking to the telephone right <laughs> dialing 911 <laughs> whispering uh. on the receiver <laughs> BTK is my husband. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in early 1978, Raider sent another letter, this time to television station KAKE, claiming the murders of the Oteros, Shirley Vianne, Nancy Fox, and an unidentified woman who was later assumed to be Catherine Bright. But since Kevin had survived and could possibly ID Raider, if he was given the opportunity he, he was the, the right he wasn't officially claiming and her, it was yet. one that wasn't strangled anyways right she was they weren't connect yeah it was a different mo she was she was stabbed nobody else right. had been stabbed so this letter is the one that he made all of his ridiculous suggestions for his own nickname yes you know and the other one he was just like he said btk well uh, this this is the letter that stands out the most out of all he demanded that he get some recognition for what he's done mm -hmm. and that the media put a name out for everyone to call him so he like threw out btk which is kind of already out there but he also mentioned a few others including the wichita hangman the asphyxiator <laughs> and my personal favorite only because it reminds me of the office the wichita strangler <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It does. It the Scranton me. Strangler. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm also thinking about the the asphyxiator makes me think of like a really bad villain name in Batman. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, obviously, police were like, "You're dumb. We're not using those names." Also, the letter was postmarked from Bill Thomas Kilman because he's so witty. He was like, "Get it, BTK, Bill Thomas Kilman." In the letter, he claimed that he had the X factor. 
which was a supernatural element that had also motivated killers such as Jack the Ripper, H.H. Holmes, the Hillside Strangler, and the Son of Sam. The X Factor sounds like he's trying to be an X-Men. Okay. <laughs> it's like in Deadpool when they're like... <laughs> yes. I already know what you're going to say. Yes. 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 <laughs> so like... <laughs> He literally named all these serial killers. He's like, I have the same thing they have. And everyone's like, calm down, Dennis. Stop trying to make X Factor a thing. Like, no. Stop, stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Stop trying to make X Factor happen. In June of 1978, Paula gave birth to his second child, a daughter named Carrie. Just like when his first child was born, Raider took a few years off the murdering. So it was later learned that during these cooling off periods, Raider would engage in autoerotic behavior to keep his urges at bay. So he would perform self-bondage and take photographs of himself, sometimes wearing a mask and sometimes wearing the underwear that he had taken from victims. Didn't his wife catch him at one point? I think his wife read uh, one of his stupid weird poems that he had made. Okay. At one point is what it was. And she was like what the fuck and he like played it off as it was um when it was when he was in college taking night classes and he played it off as like they during this class they're like doing something about btk and so this is for that assignment oh okay yeah 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 i'll be like that's suspicious okay okay i'm just gonna walk over to this phone pick it up call 911. so i saw some of these photographs of him while i was researching mm-hmm. And I really, really, really wish I hadn't. <laughs> not okay. So I'm urging you to not look it up. <laughs> I was going to say, I have not seen them and I don't want to. Yeah, keep it that way. Keep it that way. I feel as though that might be haunting. It is. Yes. Yes. So he wouldn't kill again until 1985. There were a few attempts during this cooling off period that Raider had intended to kill again, but fortunately they didn't work out. One of these times was in April of 1979. He had been stalking 63-year-old Anna Williams and had even broken into her home and waited for her to come back. Which is, to me, very disturbing. Like, why the little old lady? So as he got older, he started targeting older women because he thought he could overpower them easier. I mean, yeah, you can. Right. Because he was getting older and weaker, and he already was pretty weak to begin with. Mm -hmm. So... um. So he waited and waited and waited. And after hours, he finally gave up and left. A few months later, in June of that year, Anna received a package in the mail with a poem he had written entitled, Oh, Anna, Why Didn't You Appear? Oh, hell no. Yeah, there was also a drawing, like a sketch of what Raider had intended to do to her and a few small items that he'd stolen from her house when he broke in. I would move. She did. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> he said, fuck that move like far away from Wichita. She was like, no, bye, Felicia. And she took off. During this cooling off period, Dennis, this is when he would graduate from Wichita State and he became more active in his church. He became a Boy Scout troop leader and eventually like was elected into the church council. He was just like this wholesome family man. He was referred to as like a pillar of the community. He waited eight years before finally striking again in April of 1985. So he's now 40 years old. He's this busy family man, super active in church at Boy Scouts, still has this job at ADT. And his kids were now nine and six years old. So he's like, got to go for some older people now because I'm getting old. So 53-year-old Maureen Hedges 
had lived on the same block as the Raiders for years. She actually lived in that house for 30 years with her husband who had recently passed away. So Raider and Paula, his wife would often see Marine outside like gardening in her yard when they would like go out on walks and they'd like wave to her and she'd wave back, you know, friendly neighbor thing. On the weekend of April 27th, Raider decided it was time to strike. He was actually out for the weekend on a Boy Scout trip because he was a scout leader. That night, Raider pretended to have a headache and told another scout leader that he was going to run into town and get something for the headache and he'd be back in a little while. He then drove to town, stopped at a bowling alley. What What would happen if the other scout leader was, was like, oh, I got some Tylenol. <laughs> right, right. He would have had to think of something else. <laughs> I wish he had. I wish he had. So he then drove to town, stopped at a bowling alley where he bought himself a beer. He swished it around in his mouth and spit it out and then was sure to like spill a little beer on his shirt. He then called a cab and pretended to be drunk. He was like, I'm sure this cab guy can smell the alcohol on me because I swished that beer around. So he pretended to be drunk and was like, oh, I just need to get a ride home. So he gets in the cab. Like, you don't have to be drunk to ride in a cab. They'll take you where you want to (laughs) go. Bro, that's their job. (laughs) Right. Like, that is what they do. You don't have to pretend to be drunk. (laughs) Also, you're going to go back to this Boy Scout trip smelling like alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I see you cured your headache. (laughs) Right. He had actually changed into some of his hit clothes because he couldn't wear his scout leader. Right. Costume. (laughs) Uniform. Um, (laughs) So he gets in the cab. Once he gets close to Marine's home and his home, because they live right down the street from each other, he asked the cab driver to stop and drop him off at a park nearby so that he could like walk it off before he got home. That's also really weird. Yeah, don't drop me off at a park. Don't drop this drunk guy off at a park. That's a children's park. (laughs) I mean, it's nighttime and there shouldn't be any kids there, but still. It doesn't matter. Like, I would have straight told the guy, nah, bro, I'm not going to drop you off there. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because that's creepy. Yes. So that was another part of his drunk plan. He he needed to walk it off. So he didn't want this guy to actually take him home. let's walk it off in a different place. Right. Not a park. So... He walked over to Marine's house and was disappointed to see her car was parked in the carport. Assuming she was home, he like quietly snuck around and he cut the phone line and then he like super quietly tried to use a screwdriver to pry open the back door, then went inside. And then once he is inside, he realized that she wasn't actually home. So he didn't have to be that quiet. And he hid in a bedroom closet and waited like in a fucking closet. Now, whenever I come home, I'm going to always check like all the closets in my house. <laughs> I mean, I kind of already do along with the bathtub if the curtain's drawn. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so he waits in a closet. Before long, Maureen returned home, but she wasn't alone, which he did not count on. Her friend, Gerald Porter, was with her. Maureen and Gerald had been out playing bingo. They'd been having a real, real good time. They were still having a good time. Gerald hung around and they stayed out like talking and laughing until like one in the morning the whole time Raiders just sitting in the closet like a creeper (laughs) okay did the scout leader like right like what store did he go to (laughs) (laughs) did he drive to a different state (laughs) (laughs) so once Gerald finally left Maureen went to bed and Raider waited until she went to sleep so he kept waiting in the closet (laughs) until she went to sleep and then he crept out of the closet 
and he didn't want to wake her up. He did, he couldn't really see well. He wanted to turn a light on, but he he didn't want to wake her up. So he didn't like turn on her bedroom light. So he like crept through her bedroom and turned on her bathroom light, which immediately woke her up and she started screaming. <laughs> <laughs> because it's still a light that you turned on in her face. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Raider panicked when she started screaming and he jumped on the bed and attacked her and he strangled her. Now, once she was dead, Raider stripped her body and placed her on a blanket so that he could move her, which was something he hadn't done before. He had decided that he was going to play out a new sexual fantasy with Maureen. And after taking a few items from her house, he placed her body into the trunk of her own car and headed for his church. Once inside the church, he took Maureen's body down to the basement where he taped plastic over the windows so nobody could see inside if they were walking past this church at two in the morning I don't know and he posed her with her body tied up in like sexually graphic forms of bondage and took several pictures of her with a Polaroid camera so once he was done with his grotesque photo shoot he placed Maureen back into the trunk of her car and drove around looking for a place to dump her body he eventually found a spot and hid her under some brush and tree limbs and drove her car back to where he had parked his car in the bowling alley, wiped it down for Prince, and then drove his car back to the Boy Scout weekend camping trip. At 3 a.m. in the morning? Right, right. Nobody questioned it. I mean, I would absolutely question it. Right. They were just like, oh, did you get some Tylenol? Like <laughs> 12 hours ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> when Marie- Maureen didn't show up for work, the next day, her boss was like very concerned. They had been longtime friends. She was unable to get in touch with Maureen and Maureen had always been very dependable. She was like a creature of habit. She didn't like to change up her daily routine. Right. And so the boss reports it. five days after she went missing, her car was found by police five days later at a bowling alley, by the way. Two days later, her purse was found and it was noticed that her ID was missing. And then two days after that, Maureen's body was found. Raider would later admit that killing someone so close to his own home had been a conquest for him. At some point, rumors started that BTK had hidden in the hedges before making his move. So he would like hide in hedges and look at people's houses before breaking in. So every house in the block that Maureen had lived on, everyone that lived there removed all of their hedges from their yards, (laughs) except for Raider's house. Red, 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 flag. red flag people red flag. <laughs> red flag but okay nobody thought it was weird red flag also why was his wife not questioning it like i'm not blaming her at all but i'm like hey everybody else is taking their hedges down maybe we should I also never, i would never blame no never or his children or any of i i wouldn't even blame i'm not even going to blame the police or anything like it's not anything like that what drives me insane is there's all these red flags and this guy is so dumb, dumb. Oh, dumb, like, dumb. Maybe they just were like, oh no, he's just real dumb <laughs> and just like passed on. You're like, you Raider's know? too dumb to move his hedges. <laughs> he's just too dumb. Like, I mean, I feel like if my, being his wife, like if I was his wife, ugh, if I was his wife, <laughs> <laughs> if I was his wife, I would be like, man everybody else is removing their hedges maybe we should do the same I know or and you know what maybe she was and and he was just like no we don't need to worry about that I work for ADT we've got all the security and maybe yeah and maybe like I don't know it's just 
red flag. <laughs> <laughs> so Raider's next victim would be 28-year-old Vicki Weggerly. He had been watching Vicky for a while and referred to her as Project Piano because she was always playing the piano for her two-year-old son and he could like hear the music from outside as he stalked her for like three weeks. In September of 1986, Raider changed into a pair of his hit clothes during a lunch break and knocked on Weggerly's door. When Vicky came to the door, Raider pretended to be a telephone repairman and was like, I just need to check on your phone line. It so is Vicky outside. Right? Well, she let him in. It worked. Also, th this bothers me because there is a known serial killer out here. Okay. That is literally coming up to doors. He's literally maybe, breaking into your house and killing you. <laughs> don't let strangers in your house. Did you call the phone repairman? No. Right? Don't let people in your house. <laughs> and also, like, when the kids are answering the doors, again, it's, it's a different time. But I never let my children answer the door. Right. Ever. But, I mean, when we were younger, in the 90s, we answered the door. I know, but that's why I said it's a different time. Mm -hmm. I get it. I keep reminding myself, but I'm like, I would never like my kids. If I'm not home, which I mean, there's always an adult present, <laughs> you know, even if, <laughs> if Dallas is home and I'm not home, you're like any serial killers listening. There's always an adult home with my kids. You know what I mean? No, like if no. I'm not home and Dallas is home and somebody knocks on the door, like Dallas is the same way. He's not going to be like, oh yeah, no go answer the door <laughs> no yeah, no no he's no, gonna no go and do it also i have a camera i was gonna pointed, say pointed also at I my front cameras. door <laughs> so if somebody knocks cameras. on my door i'm gonna check the camera first because i'm like who the hell is knocking on my door i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> no i i answer or i've got cameras too but it's just it's aggravating is all i'm saying definitely yeah. a different time I would never let my kids answer the door. Um, I have cameras as well. I have cameras out inside my house too. So, <laughs> girl, yeah, same. And the lines aren't outside, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so, good luck trying to cut stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> Vicky let him in the house. He then pretended to use an imaginary tool to work on the phone line and waited until he noticed that Vicky wasn't paying attention to him. And then he pulled a gun out on her. He ordered Vicky to go into the bedroom and he tied her up. Vicky asked him, what about her kid? And he told her, I don't know about the kid yet. She begged Raider not to hurt him. And she told him that her husband was on his way home. Now, throughout all this, she was able to break free from his bonds because again, he's a below average knot tire. <laughs> and the two began fighting. Raider later said that Vicky put up more of a fight than any other victim. It was like a loud, intense fight. The windows were open, like doors were open, like they had the screen door shut, but doors were open. Um, dogs were barking in the backyard. He said Vicky scratched him all over his face and his neck. Good. She, she just like was not going down. She's like, I'm protecting this kid. Unfortunately, he eventually overpowered her and strangled her to death with a nylon stocking. When she stopped moving, he quickly rearranged her clothes, snapped three pictures of her, and then like booked it out of there, taking her car. Her husband, Bill, actually was headed home for lunch because he would always go home every day to eat lunch. And he passed Raider driving Vicky's car as he was like on his way to his house. They like passed each other. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. So he's like, what the fuck? That's Vicky's car. That was definitely not Vicky driving it. He books it home. 
he finds the two-year-old son Brandon like unattended in the living room he's just like hanging out in the living room like what's up dad and at first he didn't see Vicky anywhere because she was kind of she was in the bedroom on the floor but it was like behind the bed right so after a minute of really looking he found her lying on the bedroom floor with the nylon stocking still around her neck by the time the paramedics arrived she was already they pronounced her dead so Raider finally got himself fired from ADT in 1988. <laughs> the official reason is that he was not getting his work quoted on, but tons of reports from coworkers described Raider as a man that was not easy to work with. So probably a combination of not working well with others and also not working well at all. You know, and not working. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was too busy breaking into people's houses. Right. There's a record of him working briefly for the U.S. Census Bureau in 1989, but that only lasted, yeah, that only lasted for a few months. So he worked there right before they did the 1990, like, census. Yeah. Okay. So he's, like, going door to door and, like, counting how many people live in a house. Well, they don't do that anymore. Right. But, yeah, (laughs) they did it then. They did do it then. But I'm just sitting here thinking of him having a government job at all like right yep only lasted a few months though and they were like no get out of here you're dumb, creep. dumb. right <laughs> you're a creep so his 10th and final victim would also occur in 1991 why did i say also i don't i don't know either <laughs> start that sentence again his 10th and final victim would occur in 1991 when raider was 45 so being even older and weaker he focused on an older woman that he thought he could easily overpower. 62-year-old Dolores D. Davis was his final target. D. was described as a fun, protective, and devoted mother and grandmother. Her son Jeff and her would like talk on the phone every weekend for like hours. He, I know. It's like mom and aunt Tammy. (laughs) I know. Raider noticed her outside of her home one day and started watching her. He was like, oh, here's a potential target. He, he'd not say that because he's an idiot. He would say, there's a PJ. Ew. Yeah, that's how he shortened the word project because that's two syllables is too much. I don't know. Um, Stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <laughs> he soon realized that she was an older woman living alone and thought it was a perfect next, next project for him. On January 19th, while on another Boy Scout camping trip, Raider decided to make his move. He left the camp. Also, why, as as like a Boy Scout <laughs> lead or director or whatever they're called. Um, troop leader. <laughs> thank you, troop leader. You sure are leaving every single time that we right? have a Boy Scout <laughs> trip. Like, what's going on, bro? Why are you <laughs> packing your Tylenol for you? And he's like, why are you always leaving me with all of these kids? <laughs> <laughs> like, I would totally report you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would have reported you the first time you did it and didn't come back until 3 a.m. I would have straight reported you. You would not be part of the Boy Scouts anymore. <laughs> you were banned from Boy Scouts, sir. I would be that Karen. <laughs> he left the campsite, changed into his hit clothes, and walked nearly two miles through fields to get to her home. When he arrived, Dee was still up reading a book in bed. He couldn't figure out how to get into her house. Like he checked all around, like he couldn't figure out where he could break in and thought about ditching the whole plan, but eventually decided he would just throw a concrete block through her sliding glass door. She won't do it. <laughs> right. She won't hear that at all. So he does that. 
D comes running into the room to see what's happening because it sounds like a fucking car just drove through her house or something. <laughs> and Raider like grabbed her and handcuffed her, caught her off guard. So she begged him not to hurt her, told her like she's got kids, she's got grandkids, like I'll give you whatever you want. He tried to calm her down because that's what he does. So he told her he was on the run, needed food, money, and a car. He assured her that once he got what he needed, he would be on his way. So she's calmed down a little bit. He's like walking around pretending to gather food and other items that he's going to take with him as he talked with her. So once she was calm, he took the handcuffs off of her and then took her to her bedroom and tied her up. He then strangled her to death with some pantyhose. And once she was dead, he wrapped her body in a blanket put her in the trunk of her own car and drove a short distance to a lake near Park City. He left her body and other evidence there under some trees and then drove her car back to her house where he wiped it down and left it. Then he walked back through the fields to his car and then returned to his Boy Scout trip. The next night, he left camp again to return to Dee's body where he then posed her and took photographs of her. Her body was finally found 13 days after her murder. That's so sad. Mm -hmm. A few months later, Raider got a job as a Park City Compliance Supervisor, enforcing laws about animal control, nuisances, and inoperable vehicles. So basically, that's a fancy-ass name for he was a dog catcher that could also write parking tickets. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) But we're trying to sound fancy here. Also, I'm sorry, but... Why does he keep losing all these jobs and only staying? For, like, I would kick my husband out. <laughs> like, what is you doing, bro? We need some income. <laughs> well, no, it's not even that. I'd be questioning his work ethic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would be like, I don't know what your problem is, but you need to go until you can figure it out. <laughs> be like, Honey, I love you, but do better. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so he kept this job until 2005 when he was finally fired after his arrest because he hadn't showed up for work in a little while (laughs) oh I was like wait what (laughs) yeah because spoiler alert if y'all didn't know it he's caught and arrested but yeah he worked there from 1991 until after he stopped showing up because he was in jail (laughs) so he let this position of authority go to his head you can't take his red stapler (laughs) (laughs) he's got a little authority now he can he can write parking tickets so this went to his head during his time in this position there were several complaints and restraining orders filed against him (laughs) and he still had a job (laughs) he still had a job several people moved from the area after complaining about him harassing them he would issue fines for the most ridiculous bullshit like grasping above six inches Oh my gosh. Garden hoses being the wrong color. Garden hoses being the wrong color. It's where I live. (laughs) Our new city commissioner is that way. They'd be fine to me because it's too hot to cut that grass right now. (laughs) (laughs) So at one time he was harassing a woman in the area, seemingly because he didn't like her boyfriend who had recently moved in with her. Oh, okay. (laughs) So he literally told her if he would just leave, this would all come to an end. Like talking about her boyfriend. He even picked up her daughter's dog and had it put to sleep before they could come and claim it. Uh-huh. What? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. She's she's one of the ones that filed a restraining order against him. 
no complaint ever resulted in disciplinary action for him because the officials would just side with him over citizens. They're like, well, why would he be lying about this? Yeah. Yeah. He put my dog to... (laughs) Right. Bitch. Bitch. So he was on this ridiculous power. I would be out for blood at that point. Okay. If you killed my my dog, mm -hmm. mm -mm. it's not going to end well for anyone. (laughs) I would be behind bars. Yeah. So he's on this ridiculous power trip. Some think that this was the reason that he was dormant for the next 13 years. Like there was no word from BTK. Letters stopped. Nothing. Well, then suddenly he resurfaced. In January of 2004, the Wichita Eagle published a story on the 30-year anniversary of the murders of the Otero family. In the story, they commented on how BTK was most likely either dead or in prison somewhere since he hadn't been heard from in so long. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, how, he was like, how dare they fucking assume that? You know what happens when you assume things. Like, what the fuck? So, also around this time, it was announced that a book was about to be published telling the story of the BTK murders. Mm. And the thought of someone else telling his story pissed him off. So he says, and he like stews on all this for a couple months. He's like, this is bullshit. Like, how dare they say this? How dare they tell my story? Well, then in March of 2004, the Wichita Eagle received a letter from Bill Thomas Kilman claiming to have committed the unsolved murder of Vicki Weggerly. Now, in the envelope, he included a photocopy of Vicky's ID and three photographs of her body that he had taken before he left. Over the next several months, he sent out more letters, graphic descriptions and sketches of his murders, stupid, stupid poems, a fake biography of BTK, a weird-ass puzzle that he had made, <laughs> um, Nancy Fox's ID that he had stolen, a creepy doll that he had, like, bound and tied plastic over its head. And another doll that he had like bound and tied to a small piece of PCP pipe, most likely meant to represent Josephine Otero. So he was clearly cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs at this time. He's like losing his shit. He's sending them all and kinds of stuff. like Pops like not giving him anything he wanted because of this. Right. They're just like, oh, okay, sure. Thanks for it. We're not publishing this. We're not doing this because it, he was getting so mad. He was getting mad, but they were giving him a little they were somewhat communicating back with him through newspaper ads so that he would keep sending stuff because they're like the more he sends shit the more likely we are to catch him right so he had even delivered some of these items in cereal boxes and it's believed that he did this because he was trying to be witty because he's a serial killer yeah he's dumb i hate him so much you're done <laughs> you're done In January of 2005, police received a package from Raider in a cereal box with a note that is quite possibly the dumbest note ever written. Oh, I love this. This is why I get so pissed off. (laughs) It said, can I communicate with the floppy disk and not be traced back to a computer? And he told them to respond with an ad in the newspaper with his code name Rex and let him know if that would be okay. And police were like, there's no way this guy is so fucking stupid. <laughs> but yeah, let's roll with it. Let's let's see what happens. Like, no, no, you can't get traced. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we might as well roll with this. And in the newspaper ad section, they published Rex, it'll be okay. So the next month, they were shocked to find that their communication from BTK was literally a floppy disk. The tech guys went to work and were quickly able to determine that this desk had been used by the Christ Lutheran Church. And it had been last edited by a person named Dennis. 
<laughs> so after a super fast internet search that required zero detective experience, <laughs> they learned that Dennis Rader was the current president of the Christ Lutheran Church. <laughs> they drove by his house and they saw a Jeep Cherokee parked outside that looked suspiciously like the Jeep Cherokee. Ooh. That looks suspiciously like the Jeep Cherokee that had been caught on surveillance cameras at one of the BCK package like drop sites. Because again, he's an idiot and he's just drove up to these places in his car and dropped stuff off. Not thinking about that, you know, it's 2004, 2005 and there's video cameras everywhere. <laughs> so they began watching him. They're like, all right, we got, we, we got this guy. Let's watch him and see what happens. They watch him. They obtained a subpoena to obtain DNA samples from his daughter Carrie's medical records. And they tested her DNA against DNA found at several of the crime scenes. And they were all a match to be like familial DNA. Right. So this was enough for police. They're like, okay, we got him. After leaving work to head home for lunch one day on February 25th, 2005, Raider soon realized he was surrounded by police. He was arrested about a block from his home and brought back to an interrogation office at the police station. At first, he wouldn't talk, but when police brought up the floppy disk and the DNA match, he began to talk and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> like he would not stop talking. He talked for 30 hours, <laughs> confessing to his crimes, giving details police hadn't even known about, like describing his fantasies, told him what drove him to do it. Like he would not shut the fuck up. When it was all over, he was taken to a cell, left alone. And it was then that he realized the police might not be on his side after all. During the confession, they had been like feeding into his ego, getting him to open up and like talk about everything. But then once he was alone, he was like, wait a minute, they actually lied to me to get me here. They said <laughs> that it was safe to send a floppy disk and they couldn't trace it back to me. <laughs> actually what they said was rex it'll be okay but yeah if that's what you want <laughs> to go with go with that so raider's bond was set at 10 million dollars and he was charged with 10 counts of first degree murder the entire community was shook friends and family members couldn't believe what they were hearing they like could have never imagined that this church president family man scout leader could have been capable of these terrible crimes after 34 years of marriage paulo was granted an emergency divorce so like, usually you have to like file for it and then wait 60 days. And, and she was like, this is an emergency. I cannot be married to the psycho. What the fuck? And the judge signed it the same day and was like, you are divorced. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> like, get out of there, girl. So Raider's home and workspace was searched and police uncovered several hidden compartments full of evidence connecting him to all these murders. Raider later revealed that he called these hidden compartments his hidey holes because he's apparently a toddler. I don't know. Raider pled guilty on all 10 counts of murder. And since Kansas did not have the death penalty until after 1994, and all of his murders were committed before then, he was sentenced to 10 life sentences without the possibility of parole for 175 years. So he's currently serving time at El Dorado Correctional Facility. El Dorado. <laughs> El, Dor El Dorado? Yes. El Dorado. El Dorado. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's El Dorado. We drive by it all the time. You all pronounce it wrong. <laughs> he will be eligible for parole on February 26, 2180. So I don't 
think he's gonna get there no i don't think so either <laughs> he is looking for love again though he is so if anybody's interested that's vomitous he's like because 77 saw, or something now i saw an article come out that he was looking for love dennis you're below average in all things and nobody loves you <laughs> so that is the case of the most idiotic below average serial killer dennis raider he sucks he's i hate him so much <laughs> <laughs> me too that was a lot so yeah that was a long ass episode you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just so yeah, follow us on all the stuff. You can find it all at serialholicsisters.com. That's right. Instagram, Facey's face. Send us a message unless it's mean. <laughs> I mean, or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Or just keep it to yourself and don't tell us because this is a hobby, guys. Okay. Get off our backs. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm going to need you to get all the way off my back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, show, I showed mom and dad that. Did you? Yeah, oh, I love it. If y'all don't watch pitch meetings on YouTube, y'all should look at it. It's fucking That's hilarious. Funny. I can't stop watching them. Anyways, all right. Well, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go be awkward. Let's be awkward. Yes, I was gonna say I'm gonna go turn my my water to alcohol, but <laughs> let's oh, be okay. Honest. Let's be awkward. It's only two o'clock. <laughs> it's already two o'clock. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay, bye to push that before you said that sorry hey christine <laughs> i was bored with your story <laughs> don granger of the wichita eagle received an anonymous phone call i said that really weird um despite nope nope skip the, skip the section <laughs> okay so the next morning after reporting to work at adt Raider went to a phone booth, a flu, blo- a flu box, boom. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to try that again. <laughs> what was that supposed to be? <laughs> you a little sippy sip in the water. Hang on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did that little... <laughs> Did that little mucus guy get stuck in your throat? The little mucinex guy? Oh, yeah. he's so gross. Okay. <laughs> Try that again. <clears throat> the next morning, after reporting to work at ADT, Raider went to a phone booth a few blocks down. <laughs> <laughs> That's really rich. <laughs> <laughs> I should have told you what it was supposed to be before I tried to read it again. You want a blue box plan. I'll take a drink of water and then I must eat it. <sighs> okay. We gotta get past this sentence. I'm crying. I'm not gonna be able to. Okay. <sighs> get that little mucinex guy out. Come on. God, okay. Don't look at me when I say it. (laughs) He called police and anonymously told them Nancy's address. Nancy. He called police and anonymous. Oh, shit. I'm broken. I can't say words. (laughs) I'm broken. Raider and Paula. His wife would often see Maureen outside. What are you looking at? You don't hear mom and dad?
Nah. They're what fucking they loud. What are they doing? I don't know. Something. Something. Just got a text from Danielle that says, Are you done recording? Knit. <laughs> He'll be eligible for, for parole in. I cannot say words. He will be eligible for. for, 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 for he will be eligible for parole on August. No, February. <laughs> okay. El Dorado. El Dorado.